nuts what's going on, but I think lucky for Corby that tower block burnt down. He's going to be next prime minister. Yeah, I know. Unless they bump him off or something. Honestly, because I can't even see like they're falling in line. Even Yvette Cooper's like yeah, falling yeah, yeah. in line now. They they see they're onto a good thing and fucking who who I can't see any Tories stepping up to the plate. You know, people are still favouring Bojo. I know, but even a lot of people who voted Tory this time, they wouldn't want to vote. Nah, he's a liability right yeah. now. Oh, you never know. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Tom, Dick and Not Hyman show. We return to our scheduled programming in I'm not being able to be here, but no matter... I have Tim here. Hello, everybody. I'm here to, to back up Tom and Hyman. Bringing up the rear to help out the Brexiteers. <laughs> and they don't, they don't need help. The deed is done. The Article 50 has been signed and sealed and delivered. So I keep hearing Nigel Farage's voice in my head go, it's all over. To Alistair Campbell, do you remember? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, that interview. It's game over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tim will be helping me pick a winner between the now confirmed upcoming fight between formerly retired boxing legend Floyd Mayweather and current UFC superstar Conor McGregor. Before that, we'll be asking the question, have we become a phony society? But kicking us off, the good ship Team May has hit some rocks immediately after setting sail. Will the Brexiteers be able to steady the course? And naturally, you got to ham up the fact that Brexit could be going wrong. Our objective is clear. We must first tackle the uncertainties caused by Brexit, first for citizens, but also for the beneficiaries of the EU policies and for the impact on borders, in particular Ireland. So while we'll undoubtedly be challenging times ahead of us in the negotiations, we will do all that we can to assure that we deliver a deal that works in the best interests of all citizens. To that end, we're starting this negotiation in a positive and constructive tone, uh, determined to build a strong and special partnership between ourselves and our European allies and friends for the future. What's wrong with that? He was lying when he said there was a very positive reception. <laughs> so that was David Davis, Brexit Secretary, and Michelle Barnier, transgender EU Chief Brexit Negotiator. That was a shit joke, but whatever. Well, he's, very poor, he's, very, he's very poor transgender. Yeah, it's possible, is that the phrase? Yeah, but I mean, just, 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 just from the way that the language they use and the way they talk, I think they sort of assume that they can just sort of kick this one into the long grass. How do you mean? Like? Well, just sort of delay, obfuscate. As friendly as we are going into these negotiations, whatever is negotiated, it has to be agreed upon by 20 plus other member countries. They expect it to just sort of grind to a halt, but it's not going to happen. Well, France, Macron, he's made it clear he wants to tag team with Merkel. Well, I'm not surprised because she's like an older woman. He definitely likes the older lady. That's maybe our <laughs> winning hand. <laughs> yes. Trey shows a bit of the elbism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brexit is off. No, Finally. it's not. Don't be ridiculous. Well, it's off to a start. Okay. <laughs> it's not off to a flying start, it's not I would off. say, but, but it's been a year to the day, pretty much. Yeah. Today is 24th, isn't it? Yeah, happy Independence Day. That yeah. was yesterday. 
well, it didn't seem like a really jubilant. I didn't hear any fireworks going off. Nobody seemed in a really jubilant mood, happy about it. Well, we, you, there's a lot to be, be pensive about in the country at the moment. Oh, yeah. I think holding like a sort of happy Brexit street party get you arrested for hate crime. Yeah, yeah you would be accused of voting UKIP. Even though technically you are in the majority if you voted to leave the EU, you have to act like a silent minority for fear of opprobrium and hatred. Well, if you live in London, there was obviously tragic news in the last couple of weeks, the Grenfell Tower Block Inferno. So, I mean, that put, that put a dampener on pretty much everything. But I suspect there wouldn't have been street parties anyway, even if that didn't happen. Yeah, I don't think Farage would have been leading a parade. And, of course, the inevitable conspiracy that sprung up over the oh, number you. who've died. Thank you, Lily Allen. Thank you for so much. Well, she, it could be, she's right, it could be 150. Mm, yeah. They've already come out and said, we're not going to know exactly how many died, probably until the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the footage of inside the building, the yeah. devastation that the yeah, fire yeah, caused. Yeah, yeah. Makes wait, sense. It's wait. not, no, they're not fucking around. And like but, half the blocks in London now, they're worried they're going to have to evacuate because they've got this cladding. They've done it in Canada. Yeah, the media have got this wrong, I think. It's not the cladding. It's the lack of... Um, Care. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> there's that. But there's also the fact that a lot of the buildings in London aren't up to fire safety standards in terms of like not having sprinklers, not having proper fire yeah. doors. The fire exits have ventilation well, that they're not supposed to have. Well, Other bad news... The election, the general election itself, didn't go well. It was the worst possible outcome, the hung parliament. I know. I, I had a sort of sick feeling about the whole thing. The only sort of glimmer I got from it was the, the joy I was able to see in the eye of a lot of Corbyn supporters who actually thought they'd won. Uh, <laughs> and he'd got 60 votes less. But yeah, I know what they mean, though. They were like, obviously, Theresa May lost. She yeah. lost her majority. Yeah. But there was no real winner. That's what a hung parliament means. Nobody yeah. won. Yeah. And um, no one's popular enough to... <laughs> to earn that power yeah yeah I, I voted I voted for her uh, I think most I, people begrudgingly vote Tory rather than passionately it was like a patriotic thing to do just like doing your duty because you don't want the country to be fucked up by undeliverable lies and people with type 2 diabetes like Diane Abbott uh, I thought you were going to make a reference to the um, Trace- Emily Maitlis thing uh, uh-huh. with Andrea Linsom no, what was that? Where Emily Maitlis was questioning her she was asking leading questions about how Brexit isn't going well right You've got a negotiating position which is completely unclear. You're hearing that from the President of the EU Parliament. We've got a political system which is unstable. Many believe our economy is unfair. Living standards are falling. What can you point to now and say that's going well? European politicians are actually very keen that we keep a strong relationship going forward and that's what we're going to do. And it's actually the elected politicians who are the important thing here. Angela Merkel said it was an interesting start. We had Mark Rutter saying he was quite positive and optimistic about it. We had various different EU politicians, the elected politicians, saying it's a good start. Of course it's very early it's days, but it would be year. helpful. It has it would been be a helpful year and these cr- if broadcasters were willing to be a bit patriotic, the country took a decision. This government is Sorry, determined to deliver on that decision. You- <laughs> Emily, make this right. She could have responded, look, it is patriotic to question yes. your elected leaders. But she did this bullshit. Oh, no, look, um, I was just... I was just asking how it's going. It was just an innocent question. And it wasn't. It was a leading question. She was leading to, look, it's not going well, is it? There are no innocent questions. Yeah. Not for memory mateless. But Brexit. This time last year, I listened back to the podcast we did. The Oh My God, Brexit Happened episode. 
I called it right. We were very, um, well, I mean, I was nervously excited. And we were talking about how June 23rd should be a bank holiday. Well, that hasn't happened. Yeah, no. A year on, it's still not, there's still no real Independence Day. In, in the eyes of many, it's a day that will live on in infamy, much like some national disaster. But I think the Tories, it's obviously like, it's transpired now. I think it's pretty obvious the Tories haven't properly, haven't properly prepared for this. Do you remember you, um, I think you were saying we should trigger Article 50 straight away. Just be done with it. I think yeah. I think more people are going to start feeling that way the longer these negotiations go on. Well, they're off now. They're started now. But it's definitely not going well. Because do you remember David Davis's plan was to do parallel negotiations? So whilst you're agreeing to the divorce bill at the exact same time, you're also negotiating a trade deal. That was forgotten about yeah. like three hours after I know, he but, arrived but, in Brussels. But the, yeah. the scary thing is, Tom, I think there's a lot of people on our side who are quite happy like i said earlier to kick it into the long grass to slow it down to grind it down i think we they should don't re- they don't really want it yeah um when really i think this should just be just cut and run honestly well i mean we weren't prepared i got the feeling we weren't no. prepared we right? weren't meant when, to um, get that result when Theresa may announced she was going to trigger article 50 next year in march like that didn't make any sense to me it was obvious at that stage we weren't ready for it yeah and we should have given it a couple of years yeah. Even if it meant risking having a new government, having to inherit Brexit, do you know what I mean? It's like, if you're going to do it, you've got to do it right. But David Davis and his parallel negotiations, we've capitulated on that straight away. And I think basically, uh, I think the EU have called our bluff, basically. We bluffed that, yeah, we're going we're gonna to become a low tax haven if we don't get the right deal, if you don't negotiate properly with us. No, yeah, I think the EU knew we were bluffing. <laughs> no, I don't think we are bluffing. And I think we do have a lot of innovation and money and resources in this country. I think the, the next wave of technological explosion, if we can jump on that, we won't need Europe. The future's bright. <laughs> Sky's the limit. That's what I mean. What I, about, I'm trying to be optimistic. Everyone's talking us down the whole time. I know, but we've, we've capitulated on the EU demands that we have to negotiate a divorce bill first and also the status of EU nationals. We have to figure those out first and then they'll talk trade deal. So I mentioned... Um, we have to figure out and agree the status of EU nationals in Britain and British nationals in the EU. Yes. Here's what Theresa May had to say about that this oh, week. God. Finally. Does what she say even matters anymore? She's a husk, husk of a woman. Broken. Well, last night I was pleased to be able to set out what is a very fair and a very serious offer for EU citizens who are living in the United Kingdom, and the government will set out more detailed proposals on Monday. I want to reassure all those EU citizens who are in the UK, who've made their lives and homes in the UK, that no one will have to leave. We won't won't be seeing families split apart. Uh, This is a fair and serious offer. And I want to give those EU citizens in the UK certainty about the future of their lives, but I also want to see that certainty given to UK citizens who are living in the European Union. Of course, there will be details of this uh, arrangement, which will be part of the negotiating process, but we've made what I believe is a very serious, a very fair offer, which will give reassurance and confidence to EU citizens living in the United Kingdom about their future. So, what do you make of that, Tim? Well, I think it goes back to pretty much nine months ago, when we actually said that we would want to offer that. And it was actually the Germans. didn't say anything official, though. No, and it was, it was officially understood that the Germans didn't want to go along with that, but they still probably don't. So we're basically just repeating what we said nine months ago in an official context. The status of EU nationals thing, I said all along, that was going to be one of the first things that's figured out. Yeah, because it's easy. With. It's easy. Yeah. And I said back then, this is what it would be. 
It would be if you'd been in the UK five years, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. No matter what, yeah. right? Uh, likewise, if you've been here less than five years, we don't have the mechanism. We don't have the, the desire. Theresa May said it herself. We're not looking for mass deportations. No. It's so even if you haven't been here five years, you're going to be fine. As long as you don't start breaking, like flagrantly start breaking laws, right? You're going to be fine. Generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even if you do, it's going to take us 10, 12 years to get rid of you. Well, we need to get rid of the human rights law first. The European Court of Human Rights, which yeah. is not linked to the EU. Is it not? <laughs> no. Oh. The European Court of Justice is the EU court. Oh, it gets so sneaky, doesn't it? But we can, we can wiggle our way out of that eventually. <laughs> However... Theresa May did say at the end there that she was hoping for a generous offer in return from the EU. Yeah. The EU have already made their offer to us. They made it quietly at the end of May, beginning of June. They officially alerted our government about it on June 12th. What did they say? You can All the old grannies and grandpas can still live in the Costa del Sol. Yeah. And the artist people can still live in the south of France. Basically, I, you I can't have... think of any other places in Europe where Brits go. Spain. Yeah, to live. Yeah, Spain to and retire. France. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. The EU offer was, if you've ever lived in the EU, if you're a British national and you've ever lived anywhere in the EU, you have full freedom of movement rights oh. for the rest of your life. Meaning you can, if you lived in France... For how long? Forever. rest of your no, life. How long did you have to have lived in the EU country before? Any amount of time. If you were a resident... Oh, right. Okay. So, uh, yeah. If you, like, basically what that means is if you lived... For four years in France, and you want to go live for two years in Germany, you can still do that. Yeah. But however, say a woman works for a French finance company, and she goes back and forth between the office in France and the office in London where she lives, right? Yeah. Say post-Brexit, she decides she wants to go back and live in the EU. Imagine she's got a husband who's a British national who's never lived in the EU. He can't go over to the EU with her. Yeah. Spouses like who have never lived in the yeah, EU well, don't qualify. Omelets and eggs, omelets and eggs. There's always going to be some people who are going to get the short end of the stick. Like I, I heard some people ringing up a radio show and they were complaining because you know they'd been in this country for 14 years and they were worried about what's going to happen to them. And but then the radio host guy he turned around to her and he said, "Well, you've been here 14 years. Why, why didn't why didn't you just become a citizen?" Because she wants to have EU. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's different now, isn't it? It's going to sort the wheat, wheat and the chaff, the people who actually want to be here. Yeah. Like, why are the EU so worried about it? If they're so sure that our economy is going to implode after Brexit, all the EU nationals are going to fucking flee Britain and go back to live in Europe. So what's the, what's the problem? Well, I think the EU offer is obviously more generous than what we're offering. Yeah, but it's, it's pie in the sky, Tom. Like I say, everything is going to impinge on the freedom of movement. I think what it comes down to is the EU want their nationals to still be under the supremacy of EU law, EU courts. Whereas what we're saying is no, any EU national in Britain after Brexit, you would only be, you would only qualify for whatever rights every other British citizen has, which is not, that's why I think the EU are getting a bit. But you see, the EU wants to control people's physical standpoint in terms of the, the land they're in. But they also want to control people's psychological state and this might sound a bit crazy but i genuinely believe that people like Juncker, he'd rather people thought of themselves as europeans as opposed to distinct nationalities yeah yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah and i think that you know obviously i think widespread that's a very bad thing because 100 years down the line you you lose all those interesting quirks that make you lose different culture different cultures fun and, and interesting everyone will just be the same boring luxembourg is this theresa may is she basically, is this her kind of chicken shit way of rejecting the EU's offer? 
she must be aware of what the EU's offered and she's just ignored it and just put what she wants on the table. Yeah. It's her way of saying no. Basically. Now, the early responses from Team May's offer have been largely negative. Here's a good old Jean-Claude Juncker. Mr. Juncker, are you getting a clear idea of the kind of Brexit that the UK government wants? No. That's a first step, but this step is not sufficient. Okay. So Jean-Claude Juncker there letting us know that Theresa May's offer on EU nationals and their rights and their status post-Brexit is insufficient, but a step in the right direction. But a step in the right direction in the sense that Theresa May did actually finally get back to the EU on this matter. She's in the building. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what Theresa May, the statement she gave was obviously just a brief summary on the British position. David Davis obviously said... There'll be a white, white paper. paper yeah. There'll be an official document laying out Britain's position that's going to come out this Monday. Probably by the time you hear this, we should uh, Britain's position will be less vague, well, that hopefully. Should, and hopefully that would have moved things on. Are we going to get any type of coloured paper from the Europeans, monogrammed uh, with stars? We've already had one. We've had one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it says we want £56 billion. Pounds. <laughs> no, yeah, in a way, but uh, £100 billion, But Oh, right. No one in Britain read it, basically. Okay. We're not really taking Brexit seriously. They should, have, they should have printed it in the sun. Than <laughs> in the Daily Mail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, admittedly, we could have given them some information about what date do we want this to kick in? And like, do we want it to kick in now? Do we want to kick it two years from now, assuming the talks are done in two years? Yeah. But it's not over. Brexit is not over by a long shot, Tom. We don't, can, going back to your original statement, it's not over. It's not. I over. can see a path where Brexit doesn't happen. But well, that could be Brexiteer paranoia. No, no, just because something isn't over, it means it might never end. That's what I mean. You see what you're saying? <laughs> they're they're going to yeah. kick it into the long grass. But are things off to a good start? Yes. There wasn't anything major that the press could get there. Well, Juncker, but he's always obnoxious. And Verhofstadt is always negative yeah. about Britain. So I think it got off to the best start it could. I'm always going to try and be optimistic about it. I'm not going to talk down... The, the future prospects of this country. I'm not going to talk down our ability to get a good deal. You know, well, we're, we're, we're a powerful, innovative country and we just might be ahead of the curve. Like there's a lot, people forget there's a big movement of anti-EU going on in a lot of other European countries. But David Davis, I think he's starting to become a bit more of a realist when it's put to him that it's not off to a good start. He acknowledged it's not how it starts it's how it finishes that counts. <laughs> yes, definitely. Which is like a defeatist kind of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not about the four players, it's about the orgasm. <laughs> yeah, I think they've called our bluff and we basically, we folded on the first hand. First hand was parallel negotiations. And we folded on that one. Now here's a curveball. What happens if the Tories come under pressure in the next few months to call another general election and then Corbyn's Labour win it? Well, that's quite a likely possibility. Yeah. I mean, we joked about how... More so um, him winning it than them calling it. Because we've joked about how Corbyn comes third, normally in the yes, question yes, of yes. who do you prefer to be prime minister? Behind, don't know, yeah. yeah. That he's now in first place. Well, they obviously weren't asking under 18s. I really noticed <laughs> when, I, um, when I actually went to vote, it was noticeable how many 18-year-olds there were. Corbynites. Which is why I stayed there for an extra hour. But no, there, there were lots of uh, youngsters there. And I thought... Mostly yeah. young women or... Yes, mostly, young, young. mostly young women. And, I, and I, again, which is why I stayed there for an hour. They like but, the older um, men, don't they? Huh? 
They like their old grey bearded men. When I went out on the vote, I did see a certain percentage of the turnout, and I thought, yeah, Corbyn's going to do very well. But what you're saying is if we have another general election, Corbyn will probably win. I think the likely outcome of Corbyn winning the election is the economy would crash overnight. Britain's already viewed as a bad investment opportunity, yeah. and we kind of rely on foreign investment quite a lot. Does, does Corbyn have any sort of dangerous hobbies? Yeah, renationalizing industries. No, no, like cycling or mountain climbing. He cycles a bit. Man. He's in his allotment most of the time. Yeah, he better he better have a good security team because I wouldn't be surprised if like poison turnip, someone just takes him out. You know, he's talking about requisitioning private property of raising corporation tax. It's like yeah, foreign. I think it's called FDI foreign development investments would dry up yeah. immediately. Although you've, I've noticed he's got a real bounce in his step now, Corbyn, and a lot more confidence at the dispatch box. Um, it was, the change was noticeable after the election, even though more he lost. Spine, he, 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 he thinks he's won it. He's mad. All he has to do is basically just play the Mr. Nice Guy, which is what he's been doing, yeah. going out to like all these various disaster zones. Mr. I've got a heart and crying. If Labour do win a general election, assuming a general election is called in the next few months and Labour wins it, I think it's pretty obvious they're going to want to swap out the Tory Brexit negotiating team for their own one. Or just put in a few of theirs, yeah. Yeah, like chucking Keir Starmer in there at the very least kind of thing. Tom, That's going to be chaotic, though. We could be old men before we truly see Brexit occur, whatever Brexit is. Like I said, I don't understand where these terms hard Brexit and soft Brexit come from. They're Remainer terms. All people should want is a smooth Brexit. Like, it's in the best interests of our country. It's in the best interest of the European Union. Would you be in favour of a pause? No. If Labour come in, they say to the EU, look, we're not ready. We need to pause this. Labour will never be ready. Fucking Diane Abbott doing the sums. For God's sake, come on. We need the sooner sooner rather than later. I honestly think it's gonna, we're going to end up walking away because it's, it's going to break down. And that's going to be the general election. That might be what happens. There is a pause. There's like a, it grinds to a halt. Yeah. We agree to just go, all right, look, yeah. we'll walk away for now. And then we just never come back. And that's my only hope is that the current negotiating team do so poorly. That if it is that if it does force a second general election, you do get sort of a resurgence in the loony fringe like UKIP. People who actually <laughs> want this Brexit to occur. Yeah. If you're if you're a career politician, you don't want Brexit to happen. Because Gary Lineker was asking, uh, he was tweeting out, "Oh, if there was a second referendum tomorrow, Remain would win by a landslide." Do you think that's true? No, I think the opposite is true. There would be a resurgence, like you say, a rekindled passion. I think I think people are as passionate as ever about Brexit and. People who wanted it are assured that it's happening. I think young people would show up more, might make a difference. That's, you're talking about another referendum. Yeah. But we can't have that because we've already signed Article 50. Sorry. Don't let them get to you, Tom. Mm. Even, you're, even you're talking about second referendums. What's wrong with you? My God. That's the thing. Labour's a very middle class party now, and the middle class are largely Remain. Uh, yeah. Remain. Yeah. I think they would put an intense pressure under Corbyn to go, look, have another referendum. We've paused it successfully. <sighs> Let's just have another referendum on whether or not we even want to bother carrying on with I this. I know. They, they're all, they, the middle classes are, are mostly Remainers because they're just, they're just worried that they won't get an exotic girl serving them their latte in the morning. Fuck's sake. No, do you know what it is? It's they've got pipe dreams of, I'm going to go work in Berlin one day. As what? Yeah. Like, you're, you're a run-of-the-mill... Yeah, like yeah. They've got people like that there already. They like the idea of thinking of being able to do it, but it's, it, it's false because before we had the freedom of movement, you could still do that. If you had the skills, you could go and work anywhere in the fucking world. For a while, visa. 
Yeah, but then if you like the country, you try apply, you apply, apply yeah. and try your hardest to, to live there. For citizenship. By being yeah. a good citizen. That's just the way it happens in like 90 other countries in the world. I don't see why we should have to be different. But let's answer the question that every Remainer would love to ask us as Leave voters. Do we yet regret voting Leave? No. Don't yeah. you think, at least, it, however terrible things are, at least it's interesting. <laughs> it's exciting. Can you imagine how boring it would have been if things just kept going the way they were? It would be intensely boring, yeah, you're so right. Boring. I'm going to say no as well. I mean, look, I voted for nation states over supranational <laughs> pseudo-polities, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Transnational global corporations. I voted for sovereignty yeah. over Self- faceless bureaucrats. Self-determination. The, the right to make your own mistakes, yeah? Even if Brexit turns out to be a mistake, at least it was our mistake. We can own it. It's something to be proud of. <laughs> Honestly, though, there's still the Brexiteer paranoia, though, that there are wealthy people like your Gina Miller types. Where the fuck does she come from? I never heard of her before. She's got money. She's got money. She's she's a mother. She's got influence. She's she's a mother of two or three kids. That's the dividing line. People with something to lose versus people who don't. Yeah. Do you think there will come a point where our um, when our MPs do balk at the idea of Brexit? They balked at it when the result came through. But then they... But they, they sort of realise that there's always going to be thousands more people outside than inside the House of Parliament and they have to go along with what they say or there'll be anarchy. There wouldn't, though. There, there, there wouldn't would. have been riots. If, um, if Parliament had voted to not trigger Article 50, to put it off, like I say, for a couple of years, there wouldn't, Nigel Farage would not have been leading a violent riot down to Parliament Square. Like, I, I, I think, think people really underestimate how passionate some people are about this... This thing. Like, some people have passions in different directions, but they're all very strong passions. I view Brexit voters as pro-democracy voters who accept the outcomes of democratic process. Yes. Yeah, more than Remain voters do. The EU is the opposite of democratic process. It's, it's a, I wouldn't say the opposite, but it's not, it's not sufficient. It's, it's not there enough. It, you know, if you, want to choose the lesser, if you want to choose the lesser of two evils, mm. you choose having your own government rather than them. What do you think the end result will be? Hard Brexit, soft Brexit, in single market, out of single market, in customs union, out of customs union, with financing, passporting, without passporting. I think, I don't want it to go this way, but I think it's, it's going to have to be a rock solid, hard Brexit, hard borders. No deals. Passports. Tariffs. Pets in quarantine for years. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Just because we can. Just a middle Maybe. finger, fuck the world, kind of. Yeah, I'm hoping that seal up the happen. channel tunnel with a big fucking cork. We might have to. No, you no, what happened? we'll end uh, up driving our lorries through the Euro tunnel. No, I'm just, I'm just worried that to to deliver what was voted for. Yeah, they're going to have to pull out of the single market. I think so. Yeah, if yeah. They, um, if they want controls on immigration. If yeah. they're going to deliver what people voted for, they're going to have to do that. But for, for them to deliver that is going to get really, really nasty. That's the quagmire. Because though. people are going to lose money. And, you know... That's going to happen either way. But, but you touched on the quagmire there. What did Britons vote for? We voted yes to the question of, should we leave the EU? Yeah. Because I think, no, I think we voted for... Because I know you could. it might seem like a very simplistic argument. Yeah. We want to take back control, you know, which some Remainers will laugh at you at saying, say, you don't understand. You what know, does that mean? You, you vote for your MEPs and it's all very democratic and ordered. 
Yeah, name your no. MEP then. Oh, yeah. well, um, um, you know, well, who, well. Who, who is like the supreme judge in your country? Full stop. It's a very simple answer, but it's like it doesn't need to be complicated. And people voted to be cut off from all that. I think I think we're a little bit at the EU's mercy. And I think they're going to be gracious and offer us EEA membership. And I think we're going to embarrassingly accept that offer. But, but I think we, we will accept it. But can we accept that? without having a general election first. Uh, there's going to be one anyway. Yeah. So th- it's, it's, that's going to be the sort of question what the election's going to be run on. And to be honest with you, Tom, I think people feel so strongly, given the chance to vote for or against that, they'll vote against it. And it'll be hard. No deal Brexit. No deal Brexit. That's why I mean we should walk out now, because I think it's a foregone conclusion. So risky. It's so risky. It's not risky. We're taking a punt as it is. Yeah, We're <laughs> not taking a punt. They're just delivering the will of the people. Alright, coming up, Tim, I have a question. Are we a phony society? No, but you could just say that guy's being phony saying that. <laughs> what does phony mean anyway? Do you like use your phone too much? Uh, to be fake. <laughs> to be fake, to be fraudulent. Okay. And to our detractors that insist that this march will never add up to anything, fuck you. Fuck you. It is the beginning of much needed change. Change that will require sacrifice, people. Change that will require many of us to make different choices in our lives. But this is the hallmark of revolution. Yes, I'm angry. Yes, I am outraged. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. But I know that this won't change anything. We cannot fall into despair. As the poet W.H. Auden once wrote on the eve of World War II, we must love one another or die. I choose love. Are you with me? Say this with me. We choose love. So, Madonna there, who was uh, speaking at what was called the Women's March earlier this year, back in January. Well, that speaks for itself, really. Um, Her message to her detractors, rather than try to explain to them why they were wrong and get them on her side, was just, just fuck you. Uh, Which I thought was a bit bit rude is there are a lot of little impressionable girls in the audience <laughs> hopefully their 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 pussycat hats covered up their ears but the reason i picked that little video clip there is not to attack madonna it's not to attack women in general it's just a kind of apt example of the kind of phoniness that i think pervades society right now phoniness yeah like a fraudulence of fakeness but it's different from lying these people aren't lying when they say they choose love. <sighs> you just feel like it's it's phony because it's... I would say it's disingenuous, right? Mm. I mean, you note there... Like, she, well, in the same breath, she said, choose love and then fuck you. 
Yeah, and you know how the uh, the fuck you got a much bigger, warmer response than anything than uh, when she said, "Oh, we're we're gonna have to make sacrifices." That got no response. <laughs> yeah. like, nobody was interested in that. <laughs> fuck that. The uh, when she said she wanted to blow up, she thought about blowing up the White House. They got a little bit of response, not a huge one, not a huge one by any means. No. And then then she um she quoted W H Alden, "Love one another or die." I choose love. That got the, like, that didn't get as big as a reaction as fuck you, admittedly, but yeah. it got a bigger reaction than the, um, you've got to choose love or you have to love one another or die. But it seemed a strange sort of speech to give because the general pervading attitude on that march was one of anger and <laughs> disbelief because Donald Trump had won the presidency. Now, the crowd did pipe up, you would have noticed there, during the, uh, the cringe-inducing call and response bit. Are you with me? Yeah. Now, the irony of Madonna quoting a W.H. Auden poem, specifically that line. Right. About love one another or die. Yeah. W.H. Auden actually later, he admitted he hated that poem, specifically that line. Well, he was like a wife-beating sociopath. No, just because it was like, it was a disingenuous sentiment. It was empty. It's just fluffy. Fluffness doesn't mean anything. Because love isn't always the correct response. In an ideal world, yeah, okay, sure. But there are times and usages for hate. Sometimes it's right to hate something. Well, moving back from hate a bit. I mean, do do they do they not hate Trump? Oh, tangibly, you can taste it through the screen. But like you say, maybe just stepping back from going as far as hate, you can you have to be able to separate logic from emotion um you know i agree love love is the strongest force in the universe but it's also the most destructive force in the universe you know people have murdered each other over love in the heat of passion you can do crazy things speaking of love and empty platitudes tottenham court road tube station have you noticed the um i drove past it yesterday double poster a big uh multi-coloured Rainbow. Yeah, the, gay, the gay pride thing, which is obviously, that's fine. That's not my uh, complaint. Right. What's written across it yes. in big white letters is hashtag love is love, which is a tautology combined with an empty platitude. But apparently a, a reflection of love is to accept somebody's as they are, no matter what their peccadilloes. <laughs> and recognise <laughs> the, um, the similarities rather than the differences as well. Yeah, but as, but as I drove past it and I looked at it, it felt like this sign was just telling me, oh, you've, you've got to be more inclusive. I don't know. I don't know how you get that. I don't know how you infer that from the tautology of love is love. How do you get anything from that other than, okay, people basically, like love? Basically, you should love anyone. You should love everyone, no matter what they do, no matter who they are, even if they're like an ISIS terrorist. I don't agree with that. I think, there is, I think it's okay to be human and to dislike certain people, especially if it's their... Uh, it's more their ideas that you're disliking. That isn't being loving, but it, you could say cold, hard logic. Kill someone. If someone's trying to kill you, you've got to kill them back before they can kill you. And that isn't love. Love is love. You know, so you sometimes to be protective, you, you do have to hate. Yeah. I think to get this back to the subject, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're becoming a really phony society. I mean, the thing about all this, about these empty platitudes and these slogans, these hollow slogans. Yeah. There's no sacrifice involved. Yeah. You don't actually have to do anything. Sign this e-petition against everything. You get to pretend that you did do something when really you you didn't. And I think I I first noticed our phoniness in Britain when Princess Diana died and there was that mass outpouring of 
vicarious grief. Well, I think that's just being you. devastated. That's just you being hard-hearted. I was genuinely upset when she died. Why? It was the death of any real, any other celebrity. She was yeah, the that people's she was princess. Celebrity. She was the queen of Only hearts. after. <laughs> only only after. after she died. Here's why I think it was phony. It wasn't just grief. It was a kind of a faux grief. Who could was, be the most most sad? Yeah, in a sense, but also mixed in with irrational anger as well. And here's a clip from a Christopher Hitchens documentary about our sort of overreaction to the death of Princess Di. There were those who felt that they had been given, so to speak, official permission to grieve. It had not before been acceptable to emote in public, and all of a sudden, it was the done thing. Then came those who felt that they had milestones of life in common with the departed, often women who believed that they had shared with her in certain rites of passage. And let's not forget the vindictive, those who sought hoarsely and angrily for someone, indeed anyone, to blame. The man, for example, who assaulted a foreign visitor to these shores for the grave offence of lifting a sacred teddy bear. There are also those who become fascinated by celebrity culture, an addiction that may not be as harmless and silly as it looks including, as it does, the habit of vicariously leading other people's lives. One affectation of this cult is the familiar adoption of the adored or famous person's nickname, Gaza, OJ, Diana, or even, until her death, Die. What about those who were attracted by mass events and crowd spectacles, including many tourists? People were kicking the paparazzi one minute, but lining up in their thousands to take pictures of the coffin with their instamatics and videos the next. I think that's a really good point Christopher Hitchens made there about how, do you remember the public got really pissed off and blamed the paparazzi and the tabloid yeah. press? Never, but they never made that connection hmm. that, hey, it's our celebrity worship of Princess Diana that led to her being the most photographed celebrity in human history. True. There was a bit of an irony there where Christopher Hitchens said the celebrity worship, part of it is adopting the celebrities nickname that their friends have for them. Well, that happened with Christopher Hitchens. He's now commonly referred to as the Hitch. For the first time in history, we, we, we can actually sh- share our grief and publicize our lot grief a lot more. So it's almost like we, we are sort of encouraged to invest in these disasters more. And it's a Pavlovian response. It's like a kind of learned yeah. response. If you're a dog, because <laughs> that's what Pavlov experimented with. But what do you think about the idea that, um, like, Madonna quoted... Auden. Yeah, he was writing at the time of, like, around the time of the Depression era, the Second World War, amazingly harsh conditions that Europeans were living in. Yeah. And she's kind of almost equating contemporary problems with the problems of the yesteryear, the really awful, like things like famines and people being yeah, yeah. out of work. With yeah. bare, there's no social safety net. Like, yeah. It's like there's no comparison to be made. We have it so much better than our forebearers, our ancestors ever did. Yeah. And yet, and yet we're encouraged to think that we don't. Obviously, everyone knows that things could be better. But that's true. Yeah. That's a truism. Yeah. But people are encouraged now to be victims, aren't they? It's like, yep. did you know you're actually part of a minority group? Did you, did you, did being a white straight did male? You, did you know that you're oppressed? Did you know that, you know, these. Who's oppressing me? I don't know, but somewhere, somewhere out there hates you. So Probably. you should be, you should be a bit more. I've got dust angsty. allergies. You should be more angsty. Well, there you go. Those fuckers who don't clean the houses. General. Bastards. Feelings of inadequacy. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a victim. Exactly. 
Do you think it has anything to do with um, we lost faith what, in re- our religion? You mean we lost faith in our religion, but not just religion. We also lost faith in our liberal public institutions. We lost faith in our politicians, oh, especially after yeah. expenses scandal. Yes. Faith in politics in general. Yeah, but it wasn't just losing faith. They they did a good enough job of that themselves. So, like I say, the politicians screwed themselves. Their expenses. The church screwed themselves by screwing children. Oh, uh, we lost we lost our faith in World War One after World oh, War. Oh yeah, I. yeah. I think that was devastating. Uh, Remember, we're a Protestant, predominantly Protestant country, not Catholic. We lost faith even in the nation state. But do you think that's kind of uh, contributing to our fo- our phoniness? The fact that we don't really have anything that we believe in anymore. I think there's too many things to believe in. Again, I pretty much, it's like my sort of get out answer to everything now, but it is a good answer to give. And people still underestimate just the huge impact. That, what, of the, apathy? No, of the internet. And like I say, there's almost too much choices now. It's like, I didn't know I was suppressed until I saw it on a website. Again, I just, I just blame the internet for everything. <laughs> Do you think we've turned ourselves into completely ignorant Philistines who cut any ties they had to their own culture, their own history, their own what used to be shared values, but are no longer? Well, there's always the question of homogenization and westernization and how like american culture americanization which every bit of tv we watch now is american almost every bit unless you watch bbc and like even when i look at like footage of people from india and africa now even compared to 20 years ago Mm. the the places are a lot more sort of westernized you know developed and the fashions are a lot more western as well a lot lot more modern yeah have you noticed that we uh we in the west and the western world we tend to pretend like it's cool that we don't have a like a culture of our own, that we don't have an identity of our own anymore, that it was a good idea to get well, rid of these things. It's worse than that. It's like it's people are sort of cynical now and they actually reject their culture. They reject their identity because they think, well, my culture's trash. But why celebrate what is really almost like a non-culture, like a null culture? Like how do you find any sort of faith, uh, any sort of strength how do you like? Do you know what I mean? Well, it was the sort what of, do you root yourself? Well, it in? was it was the sort of it, that was the sort of expression of Generation X and and grunge, wasn't it? It was like where we realised the system was shit. We don't believe in so, anything. Yeah, man. so we were just going to reject it all and be nihilistic. Yeah, big up nihilism. Um, but now the nihilists have had children, and instead of passing on apathy, we've just passed over like a sort of world of insubstantialism you know music today for, for children it isn't political it doesn't talk about how shit things are it it's, actually talks about how nice things are it's young women talking about getting fucked on beaches and mm. in nightclubs yeah even Ari underground most of her songs yeah she's got a, fa- a famous song which like all the kids are fucking singing at her concerts about not being able to walk remember properly. the victims about of... <laughs> not being able to walk properly the day after she got fucked so yeah. hard kind of, yeah you know. and that's like a kids a kids artist she, she was singing that in manchester wasn't she mm-hmm. well, what happened to um public intellectuals why do we now always look to the pop stars and tv stars and movie stars like benedict cumberbatch to give us the answers mm. on what to do jk rowling she oh has like god. millions of twitter, twitter followers but i'm basically i'm waiting for her to give up one of her mansions to syrian refugees or to the victims of grenfell do you know what i mean like she's yours she's always eager to tell other people what to do with their money and what possessions they have and i think i think you see it as phony tom because you see it's a very easy way for someone to get affection by being sympathetic <laughs> By being fraudulently sympathetic. sympathetic. Yeah. They're not making any sacrifice, but they're expecting it of others. Yeah. Like I say, there's no real public intellectuals anymore, right? And we look to these pop stars for answers and explanations. 
Well, of course, you look at Jeremy Corbyn's very popular with the youth now. He, he introduced a band at Glastonbury this afternoon on the pyramid stage. Yeah, he's got his own cult of personality going. Yeah, and he's a very sympathetic person to all sorts of causes. <laughs> but the thing is, the people, we, the people we look up to now, like they're ignorant Philistines like us who've had their history, their connection to their own history severed as well. So it's like they, they're not going to come up with any answers that we wouldn't come up with ourselves anyway. Right. Like we, we've got the same sort of cynicism, but we don't, we don't sort of let it affect our emotions. Well, we do, but it's like there's a realism there that realism. you can't yeah. rely and on honesty. slogans. You can't rely on hashtags to fix things. Yeah. Love trumps hate. Well, I guess that makes Hillary Clinton hate then because she lost. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in the... It sounds great in theory, but it doesn't work in the real world. Mm-hmm. Refugees welcome. Just not at my, my house. house. Yeah. That's all I want. All I want. I just want these, like, the no borders, no nations people. Just make it an honest expression. Just yeah. put underneath on your placard that says refugees welcome. Put in brackets underneath, just not at my house. <laughs> if you could move into someone else's house, maybe six, seven miles away from me, that'd be great. Yeah. Welcome to Britain, by the way. Yeah. Lovely to have you here. Just yeah. don't live near me. Yeah. But our phoniness, it infects our politics as well. And not just the fact that our politicians are phonies because they, came, they come from the same stock as the rest of us, but also our attitudes towards politics. British politics is now completely polarised, just like American politics is. And yeah. voting patterns are now seemingly starting to follow. They're mirroring each other, whereby your wealthy, professionally trained, middle-class ABC ones, they're voting uniform, almost uniformly for Labour, in the UK, Democrats in America, mm-hmm. your working class C2 DEs, they're voting almost uniformly now for the Tories and the Republicans. And what this is leading to is because Britain is predominantly a middle class country. And the middle classes, they like to pretend that they care about the working classes, mm-hmm. but they're phonies. They don't really care at all. And we know they don't really care because like, the st- it's borne out in the statistics when it comes to charitable contributions. Like say over the last 30 years, they've completely plummeted as a proportion of income. We don't really care about each other anymore, but we like to pretend that we do by expressing empty platitudes and hollow slogans. I don't don't think it has to be an entirely negative thing, though, because this trend, it does have some positive outcomes, like when you get these crowdfunding things on the internet and... Uh, The ice bucket thing. Yeah, things like that. That, That's like a a good side of it. And hopefully, if it really came to serious things you know, mass mobilizations of people can be a good thing, as long as they don't let Madonna talk. <laughs> what do you think about middle classes, the middle class attitude towards working class, though? I think it's genuinely fearful. Disdain is a word I think that would come up. It's fear. They it's really fear. don't like their attitudes, the way they talk, the way they act. All boils down to fear. Their they, love of cause, football, cause they, testosterone. They, they, they fear them on, on the level that they think... Maybe they're physically more powerful because they do physical jobs. Like a landowner. <laughs> but also, that it's because they want, want what they have. They fear them because they know they want what they have. Envy, the politics of envy. Envy. But why do the middle classes pretend to give a shit about the working classes? It's guilt. And it's, as terrible as it was, that Grenfell disaster, it, you can imagine like if, if, if you've got any sense of white guilt or rich guilt, it's taken a real battering. It's been really pierced this, this last week with these the poorest in the society being lit up like a Roman candle. And like people... There's a lot of white guilt and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, wealth. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say wealth guilt going around. No, I'd say wealth Everyone guilt. thinks they're less wealthy than they really are. No, no, no. And like the people who are very rich or like people who've had very comfortable lives, um, secretly they know they'll never be as cool as like someone who's poorer than no them. No street cred. Exactly. 
and so they've got that secret envy of them as well and they so they always want to have that touch of danger and stuff you know to my point there about middle classes not liking working classes yeah in 2015 i subscribed to the new statesman and then when brexit happened the writers the columnists at the new statesman it's like they just couldn't contain their anti-working class bias anymore like they couldn't be bothered to pretend anymore mm. so i unsubscribed because i couldn't hack it anymore and I picked one up the week after the abysmal Theresa May election yeah, to see what the new statesman had to say about it. And they did a complete 180 on Corbyn, by the way, but that's an that's, uh, off-tangent point. But Yeah, they like him now. Yeah, Helen Lewis, though, she, uh, she did a column that week. And one of the title headings was, I'm really happy this election happened. And then underneath it, it's, I'm really happy this election happened because now I don't have to read or hear any more whining from the quote left behind hmm. now what does that term left behind mean it's a middle class euphemism for what we used to call working class plight working class grievances and to me like i don't, I don't mean to like shit on helen lewis per se yes but she's emblematic what she wrote there is emblematic of how the middle class not just the middle class right but the middle class left as well who like to pretend they give a shit about working classes yes really they don't Yes. They disdain them. Well, who was that Labour MP? I can't remember her name now, but she tweeted the... Uh, <coughs> Emily Thornbury. Thornbury, yeah. She tweeted the picture of that guy who hung his St. George's flag. It was a white van yeah, with the St. George cross yeah, yeah, hung yeah. out by the window. And Utter disdain. It didn't say, like, she didn't write anything. Yeah. But obviously, the implication was pretty mm. But do, do, do you think, I do think, though, some of that sort of entrenched in the intellectual class, because maybe because they were taught about at university, but they do have that sort of slight white guilt and... It's not they dislike the country, but they sort of feel like if they show disdain for it, they sort of get brownie points. Amongst their peers? Yeah, because... Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, and it's, it's sort of um, uncalled to be patriotic. I think I think it kind of explains the left... Explains the left generally loving Islam. No, nah, that's not... I'm going to rephrase that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the left... Basically, the, the reason the left are generally pro-Islam is... There's only one reason. Muslims tend to hate America left-wing people tend to hate america they tend to hate the west in general mm-hmm. but bringing us back to politics and how our phoniness affects our political discourse i've noticed now and this is true of american political culture and british political culture and it goes like this the left will love enjoy or support anything that pisses off the right likewise the right do the same thing they'll support love anyone no matter what they say or do as long as they're pissing off the left the right will love them vice versa right that to me is like there's something inherently phony about that like politics is not meant to be that sort of tit for tat playground Mm -hmm. bullshit Mm -hmm. we spent a long time trying to develop a universalist ethics in the west the idea like based on the christian golden rule if if you know if i think it's wrong for you to do x to me then it's wrong for me to do x to you as well to me, I think that's gone now. I think we have a double standard of ethics now. Where like you could you can sum it up with the um the phrase, it's okay if I do it. If you do it, it's wrong, but it's okay if I do it. Heads I win, tails you lose. You just rationalize it. It's so easy to do. When you like when you've thrown away universalist ethics, when you've thrown away reason, logic, it's so easy to just make shit up as you go along and you always get to be right. Yeah. I'm doing this because I choose love. Yeah, and because I choose love, you don't get to tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. Because you love, chose hate. Because love trumps everything. If I'm choosing love and you're against me, you must be a hater. Yeah. It's so infantile. It's just not, not sensible. It's fucking phony. <laughs>
I mean, even if someone does something that would generally be considered beyond the pale, if I'm right wing and it's a right winger that's done it, I'll look the other way. I'll rationalize why it's okay. And that's true of the left as well. I think every time you do something like that, though, especially because you must be conscious of it. If you've got a consciousness and you know you're doing something that if it was someone else had done it, you would have had a different opinion of it. I think that ebbs and chips away at our own morals, like our own sense of morality. Yeah. And eventually you'll, you would eventually end up at a point, if you kept doing this, you'd eventually end up at a point where you wouldn't know right from wrong anymore. Well, it's, it's an assumed morality, isn't it? It's like you end up, like I say, with Madonna ch- chanting to the masses. They're all, they're all completely brainless. They're, half of them don't even know why they're there. They're just there because they were told to, be, told to go there. They have vaginas and they dressed up like... <laughs> vaginas. And they put, I was going to say anthropomorphize, but they put vagina hats on their heads. You know what I mean? But don't ever say I'm defined by my genitals, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, like combine that lack of universalist ethics, right? With the fact that we know now, contrary to popular opinion before... People like, you know, bullies, harassers, manipulators. We used to console ourselves by saying, oh, you know what? These people, they only do this because they're massively insecure. They have like horrible histories and they don't know how to deal with their feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. It's they're, all very, they're very unhappy people. They're not. They're some of the happiest people on earth. They're some of the most self-confident. And the reason for that is because you, you get a kick out of it. When someone bullies somebody else, puts them down, shuts them up. Well, dominates them you get a good feeling it, in your brain it's an exchange of energy the game of one-upmanship right it used to be on a more don't want to sound banal here but it used to be on a more intellectual level like we've done things down like music got done down from classical music mm. to pop music from complicated melodies harmonies what have you yes to a simple four by four beat eight bars repeat do you know what i mean first chorus first chorus and it's like, we've kind of done that to our whole, to everything, to TV, to music, to movies, yeah, you, to you, books. I know, you, you make it sound like a bad thing, but it, you could take the other view. This homogenization is actually just like a sort of, uh, it's just an efficiency tool. We're actually, we're, we're, you feel like we're, we're becoming something because of civilization. But, but for, Arseholes. F- first, we all, first, we're all becoming the same sort of thing. Same sort of arsehole. Yeah, but then that's going to, turn into something that's going to do something it, things are things there'll be are, a revolt maybe no or a, an, an epiphany or a counterculture or a collapse of civilization you know people always forget you know the roman civilization was, was has lasted twice as long as they ours were, has so far were they not conquered though whereas we're sort of just well, no. we're basically destroying ourselves well towards the end they sort of conquered themselves if foreign invaders came in yeah and their own culture was sublimated and became Sort of it couldn't, it couldn't stand up on its own. But what happens to rational discourse when people are relying on empty platitudes, hollow, vapid slogans? Well, it becomes meaningless because it, every discussion has a foregone conclusion. Because you're meant Why? to, because you're meant to choose choose love or just do the most soppiest PC thing. You make it a binary moral choice, like yeah. um, the EU yeah. referendum. Yeah. They tried to make that a binary moral yeah, yeah, choice. Yeah. So it's almost like the the conclusion must always be in this this certain way, no matter what. But how do you have an open it's and like free exchange of ideas and rational discourse if someone's like, no, I am the moral person, you're the immoral person, like yeah. by default from the start? Well, it's like a self, self-imposed self thought police now, isn't it? It's like everyone's yeah. their own little thought policeman. Having determination. Censor themselves before they say anything bad. All 
All right, enough depressing talk. And uh, we move on now to what may be a phony boxing match. There's, oh, a, very, there's a very, very tiny, minuscule chance yeah. one of the competitors will throw the fight in order to make lots of money by well, betting against themselves. If they're sensible, they'll string this out into two fights or three fights. Yeah, they're rematch. If it's going to be a one-off. We're talking about the fight of the century. It's Mayweather versus McGregor. It's the fight everybody wanted. Now we're getting it. What would it take for you to get back into the ring? Everyone is asking me, is Floyd Mayweather coming back? Continued speculation. Floyd Mayweather to face Honor McGregor in a boxing match. They have you fight MMA fighters now. They have you doing all this stuff. How do you... It's possible. It may be a boxer versus an MMA fighter. Let's start with Conor McGregor because you said you started that rumor yourself. You know, we really don't know as of right now, but do I think the fight will happen? Absolutely. What if you were in the ring with Floyd Mayweather? What do you think would happen? I know, I certainly know he would not want to step into my world, but I most certainly would step into his world. If we were to get it on, I would dismantle him also. Conor McGregor has said this afternoon that his UFC career is on hold indefinitely. He will now turn all of his attention to fight only one man, and that is Floyd Money Mayweather. But, you know, it's... it's on paper, it's it's a very good fight. You know, they're they're going to fight one four five. So it's a, I think, which one fifty four. One fifty four. Okay, yeah. So like, that's the easy weight for McGregor to get. It's a little bit. I mean, you say on paper, right? Yeah. On paper, it's a bit of a freak show fight. Well, on paper, uh, you've got Floyd Mayweather forty nine and zero boxing record, professional boxing record. Conor McGregor's professional boxing record is zero. Mm, he did zero fights, amateur fights. He was. Golden it's Gloves. Boxing. Yeah, he was a gold, he? Golden Gloves champion in Ireland did, uh, as a youth, youth amateur. And the thing is, it, it depends what, what camp you're, you're in from or that you listen to. You know, I come from a martial arts background, but I, I train about three times a week in, in a boxing gym. And they're ve- I've just listened to people. They're very disdainful of the MMA and Conor McGregor in general. And a lot of them even think the fight shouldn't even happen. Like Brexit, like it shouldn't Brexit. have happened. Shouldn't like have Trump. Happened. But a lot of them think it's bad for the sport. Well, now, let's hold up. Let's just explain for anyone who doesn't know. Floyd Money Mayweather Jr. is considered to be one of the best pound-for-pound boxers of all time. He recently retired, I think, within the last two, three years. And uh, he's going to be fighting Conor McGregor, who isn't a professional boxer. He's arguably the biggest UFC slash MMA star right now. But he has absolutely no experience as a professional boxer. So the fight is taking place at the T-Mobile, or if you're American, T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas on August 26th of this year. Are you excited for this fight, Tim? I'm very excited. I, I really want McGregor to win, even though, he, one, because he's the underdog. Two, because he's Irish. Three, because <laughs> I'm from a martial arts background. He's from a martial arts background. And I want to see the looks on all these boxers' faces the, in the next week at the, the place <laughs> after he wins. He's a rank outsider. So like I said, on paper, it's a little bit of a mismatch. Someone, a guy who's 49 and 0 is professional boxer versus someone who has no professional boxing experience. Yeah, but Mayweather, the reason he's a legend is because he isn't your typical boxer. Now, how many people has he knocked out? Not many. No, I think in the last 10 years, he hasn't knocked anybody. Yeah. He, he, isn't, he hasn't got a lot of power. And like, but the interesting thing is, um, win or lose, it's a lot easier for McGregor this fight if he loses it's like well he lost because he wasn't a boxer whereas Mayweather it's like he has to win because it's his backyard 
and McGregor will actually, even though the rules of Queensbury rules of boxing are very limited. Punches only. Punches only. McGregor will be bringing in punches from angles and stuff that that, um, Mayweather isn't used to. He'll be used to closing in the whole time. Hasn't Mayweather got an orthodox, unorthodox punching style as well? Well, he comes from odd angles himself. Yeah, that's if he's punching. Most of the time he's dancing away. (laughs) (laughs) I feel, I understand why people are saying you shouldn't really be excited for this fight. It is a bit of a nothing fight. There's no title on the line, obviously. Mayweather's coming out of retirement. Yeah. Conor McGregor's UFC lightweight title, Mm -hmm. the one he still has, that's obviously in a different combat sport. So it's like there's not really anything at stake and like you well, say even if connor loses it's like well it's not his sport yeah but it's it's the personalities you see like the, these 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 are two, these are these are two characters it doesn't matter what sport they chose to be involved in they'd always be superstars because they're personalities. highly cocky highly cocky standing out from the crowd like they're not your average guy the, you know the the pr man's dream that's what it's really it's only really about bragging rights then isn't yeah it? but no but there's also the sort of moral thing it's like i want mcgregor to beat mayweather because you could say mayweather's a bit of a baddie who never got his comeuppance but this 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 could go very badly for the boxing world if if mcgregor puts on a really good show and knocks out mayweather it could just really show up boxing so i think there's a lot of pressure on on mayweather that's why i'm excited about it i think he knows it's a fight it's a fight for him to lose he's got the greatest chance of winning when you envision the fight do you see stopping him my fist is bigger than his head. 49 and 0, never been knocked down, never been knocked out. I know every single shot he's been hit with. I don't care what rule set it's under. I'm going to teach him about true fighting. And that's it. You keep barking, keep barking, keep barking. Fuck Floyd Mayweather. So I'm going to pull your card to see if you're really real. You keep barking, I'm going to see if you're going to bite. He could knock out Conor McGregor at any moment in that fight, whenever and however he pleases, with either hand. My point is, let's see what I knockout artist does in a boxing ring. Floyd Mayweather's 40 years old. Conor McGregor's 27. Conor's a big dude. Floyd has trouble with southpaws. Conor McGregor is southpaw. And Conor McGregor hits like a truck. Yeah, well, fuck Floyd. Trust me. This whole boxing world don't know what they're going to see when I roll in here. I'm unpredictable. Yeah. Conor McGregor, you a bitch. You're not on my level. You will never be on my level. He's a Malteser with eyeballs. He's scared shitless. Never compare Conor McGregor to me. That's a total disrespect. He needs me. I don't need him. That's the truth of it. Whatever you do good, the best thing you do, I take that away from you. The game is in for a shot once again. I am watching! It was announced. We have a date, a confirmed date, August 26th. I'm glad it's so soon. We'd have to wait a year. Yeah, I'm glad about that as well, actually. Both guys are ready for it. Now, there haven't been any official figures disclosed yet, but the reports are, the rumour is, both guys have demanded $100 million each to show up. And why not? Good for them. 200 mil... For, um, well, it'll make it. It'll make at least a billion on pay per view. <laughs> Come on, advertising. It will make. It will, I mean, obviously, it's uh, it's going to generate. I think a little bit more than two hundred million, but that's a massive payout. That's why it's, That's all part of the hype, though, man, isn't it? It better be the biggest fight of the century if they're asking for that much money. Of course, it could all turn out to be a disaster. It had, there is a, there is a precedence in the seventies. Uh, Muhammad Ali fought Antonio Noki, Japanese pro wrestler. Yeah, one of yeah, the yeah. biggest. Celebrities in Japan of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turned into a fast with... Well, he didn't want Inoki kicking him. 
yeah. from standing position. So it ended up with Anoki lying on his back doing little kicks at him the whole fight. Because I always think when boxers, people say, oh, you know, a boxer couldn't do, an M- couldn't do well in MMA. People forget boxer could throw a kick as well if he wanted to. You know, there's nothing stopping Ali from trying to kick that wrestler. He just wouldn't be very good at it, though. No, no, no. I mean, you had you had James Tony, a retired punch yes. drunk James Tony, yes. fight Randy Couture. That yeah. wasn't that was a nothing fight no. as well. And in the ver- James Tony, he just he wanted a payday. That was it. Yeah. He wasn't trying to prove anything. And I can't remember his name now. But in the very first UFC, there was a, the guy with the glove. Yeah, a single glove, a pro boxer. But it was interesting. He went in with one hand untaped. And one, yeah, one it's ridiculous. Didn't know the fuck. It was before before the days of MMA gloves. They didn't exist then. Now, how do people in the UK? How did they watch this fight? We don't really know yet. Well, I think a lot of people love McGregor over here more than Mayweather. I think oh. this country will get behind. I think he normally fights McGregor. in the UFC, and UFC is on uh, BT Sports. However, this is a Showtime boxing promotion, so I'm thinking it's most likely it's going to be on Sky Sports pay per view. But what we do know is for American audiences, it's going to be on Showtime pay per view, and the asking price is going to be in excess, somewhere in excess of a hundred dollars. That's a lot. I mean, think normally it's like fifty to sixty dollars. I'd be interested to see what the undercard is if they've got any interesting matchups. Who's the British boxer someone with who, uh... no no legs fighting someone with no arms <laughs> or something? Who's the British <laughs> boxer that won recently on TV and we made a big deal about it? He's he's begging to be on oh, the undercard. Anthony Johnson. Yeah, AJ. He's already trying to From wrangle the, it. the Finchley ABC. Because you know, like if it's going to be the biggest fight in the world, that means it's the biggest boxing card in the world. The biggest gate, the biggest pay-per-view buy rate. Yeah. It's a massive payday for anybody who fights on that card. It, it could revitalize boxing or, or kill it off once and for all. The pay-per-view cost is quite high. Yeah. Get ready for the uh, ticket prices that have just been announced. To sit in the nosebleed seats is going to cost you somewhere between $2,000 and $3,000. Yeah. That's ridiculous. If you want a floor seat, it's going to cost you, I think, I think it was about a minimum of fifty grand for a a floor seat ringside seat a hundred grand a ticket wow but you can imagine the atmosphere there and it'll be the place to be seen oh. there'll be so many celebs and you know Stallone people, people will be renowned who needs this fight the most though between May Floyd between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor who needs this fight the most I think that's the fascinating thing that they don't neither of them really need it but because both of them have cemented their own legends in their own respective fields. Yeah. They're purely just doing it for the money, doing it for the... But they don't the, need the money. They I do need the money. The richer you are, the more money you need. And the other thing is, it's like they're just giving the, the fans what they want, which is a great thing. But what about uh, Mayweather Pacquiao? The fans, boxing fans wanted that for a long time. It came probably about five, six years too late. Yes. Whereas this is an in-prime Conor McGregor versus a coming-out-of-retirement Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. Well, apparently Floyd's cardio is still incredible. But I just think McGregor has a lot more power than Floyd will be used to. We're saying that neither guy needs the money. They both have established legacies which are probably not at risk, regardless of whether they win or lose. Maybe, mm. I would say Mayweather has more to risk here than Conor McGregor does. Yeah. Given that, isn't this... It is a freak show fight, isn't it? Well... A little bit, but that, that's, more like what, that's, that's more like what the boxing fraternity would say. What about the age difference? Floyd is 40 years of age, Connor's 28 now. Does that factor in at all? No, not, not, not if Floyd's kept himself fit. Which I think he has. I think he, can, I think he can do 12 rounds. I think Floyd's in the gym still every day. Yeah. Now, almost no one from either the boxing community or the MMA 
community thinks McGregor has anything better than a puncher's chance at winning this fight. Yeah, but that's the fun thing about any fight. You never know what's going to happen. There's always the X factor. Because the bookies, they have Mayweather at 11 to 1 to win. I think that means if you bet £100 on Mayweather, you'd only get 111 back. Oh, right. So, yeah, okay. You'd you'd be up 11 pounds. 1 to 11, you mean. Not 11 to 1. Yeah, the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's won the odds. The bookies are giving Mayweather the odds of one to eleven, which is why it's worth having a bet on McGregor because you'll have fun. He's like fifty to one. Well, fucking bet bet hundred pounds on him then, and like because not only will you really really enjoy every second of the fight, but he's got a better chance of winning. I'm I'm giving him a better chance of than winning. a puncher's chance. I, you think maybe because um, I've watched Conor McGregor and the way he trains. Now this is actually going to work to his benefit because instead of having to worry about kicks, instead of having to worry about punches and grappling, yeah, for the he, first he, time he, in a long time he can focus just on he, boxing and not just boxing. He's just going to be focusing on fighting Floyd Mayweather. He just has to focus yeah, on beating Floyd Mayweather. He's not just anybody though. I know, but it, it requires a, a, a specific set of skills and tactics. And I know the way that these MMA guys train, they, they isolate stuff, they pick stuff out, and they boil it down, and they just repeat it yeah. ad infinitum. He'll have Same a whole as, sequence of combos specifically designed to beat Mayweather. That's, he's going to be knackered by round four. He's going to win it. I, that's, I, I agree with you. He's got to win it by round four. Yeah. Or Mayweather would have had some tactics. But I honestly think but he's going to take him by surprise. Here's what I want to say. And I'm going to win my bet. Connor. Like a lot of boxers, he's only got one or two good punches that he relies on to win fights. I don't know, like, I'm not a trained fighter, I don't know what the punch is called, but you know his count the left punch where he steps back and leans back to his, le- like rolling to his left hand side and then right. comes back with the left hand cross counter. Right. That's like his number one best well, he's, punch. He's left-handed. Yeah, he's a southpaw. So it's a lead left hook. and uh, it's, it's an That's a- what he knocks guys out with. Well, it's an excellent counter to, to a right punch. But can he hit Mayweather with it? Well, I saw him talking about fighting Mayweather and he showed a little combination he'd been working on. The first two or three punches, he doesn't even expect to land. He's forcing Mayweather to move to his left. Conditioning him. To move to the left, yeah. Moving forwards, so forwards, one, two, three. And then without stopping, he'd go over to his, his right and do like a uh, cross and a hook. So it was like the first three punches were just moving him. And like I said, he's not training to become a boxer. He's only training to, to defeat one guy. one guy. Yeah. Or I'll be super cynical going back to this earlier segment and just say they'll figure it out so they can both put on a good show. It'll Mayweather will throw be the fight. Mayweather will Twist throw his ankle. Yeah, Mayweather will throw the fight win a lot of money by betting against himself and set up a big payday for the rematch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Mayweather wins this. I don't think there's going to be the big surprise upset. I think Conor might come close in the first two rounds, but then Mayweather's going to have his number after that. And I think by round eight or nine, Mayweather will have, will have frustrated Conor enough that it will throw Conor off his game. He'll overreach. Wear himself out. He won't pull his left hand back in time and Mayweather will catch him and I think it'll be a TKO. Yeah, rest but stop that's what I mean. That's what I mean, though. Knockout. Even if Mayweather catches him, what? <laughs> Mayweather's like a little little child. His punches, he doesn't have knockout power, Mayweather. No fighter in the history has done what Floyd Mayweather has done. And we, we're just speaking facts. I see that I've been listening to them laugh my whole career. I've got this situation where people are truly doubting me. Like they doubted me at the very, very beginning. 
I'm the boxing guy. Watch me take over boxing. Trust me on that. Floyd doesn't know. No one in this boxing game knows what's coming. Trust me on that. When I step in there, I'm going to shock the whole goddamn world. Look me in the eyes. 28 years of age. Confident as a motherfucker. Long, rangy. Dangerous with every hand. I'm going to stop, Floyd. You're all going to eat your wounds. The whole world is going to eat their wounds. I'm going to stay at the top, do what I want to, how I want to, and continue to control boxing. Because when you speak boxing, you're speaking Mayweather. The biggest fight in boxing history. Let's do it. Boxers have really talked down the MMA. Mainstream media has really talked down the M- MMA because Fox, Rupert Murdoch, is, you know, he's only recently... He's a boxing promoter? Yeah, there's, well, no, there's like a lot of money. I mean, Bob Arum talks a lot of shit and has done historically because he's a boxing promoter. Yeah, they don't like it. But I think these days, boxing's attitude of MMA has changed. I think they looked at it as, they looked at it as too brutal. It's too savage. It gives all combat sports a bad name. Whereas now, whereas now they've, they've changed and they've, they, they respect it and they accept it as a sport now. But obviously they still think boxing's better. If Connor doesn't get knocked out, and he does survive the 12 rounds, but still loses, say, like, unanimous or maybe even split decision. That's a moral victory at the very least for him. But again, maybe it goes back to what you said. It's like, why are they even having this fight? Because it doesn't lead anywhere. So once you've won it, yeah. so what? You get bragging rights. It would be a lot more interesting if McGregor, Conor McGregor beats Floyd Mayweather. That's a more interesting outcome. It leads yeah. to uh, speculation in the press about, oh, what, what does this mean for boxing? What's the future of boxing now? Yeah. That a retired fighter lost to someone in their prime. Yeah, you have to get Anthony Johnson in in the cage against. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it could lead to a spike of yeah. Tito like, Ortiz will have to come out of retirement <laughs> and fight f- Anthony Johnson. But I mean, yeah, you could get a spate of say like MMA fighters taking on boxers. Yeah, like as super fights. Well, that's why I want to see the undercard because I want. Hopefully, they'll do some interesting stuff like that. This fight is attracting attention from people who aren't usually combat sport fans. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get the inevitable, oh, this is human blood sport, this is terrible, we should ban it. From The Guardian, probably, I yeah. think. But I think you'll see a little bounce in like the viewership of MMA organisations across the board, yeah. but most, obviously, predominantly UFC. Yeah, But, it's, but it's, it'll, be, it'll be short-lived, though. It's not going to last. It's, it's due to get popular again. Like I was used to, like, used to be able to see a very clear cyclical thing in martial arts like certain trends in the uh, late 70s it was kung fu very popular kickboxing i thought american kickboxing was popular in the late 70s wasn't it jenny the bet uh, benny the jet akidas no not really that was, that, 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 that was when really kickboxing first it started that's when it was first invented but in terms of like thanks just, to karate right yeah but in, in terms of just public participation in martial arts and what was popular you mm. had the whole sort of Bruce Lee Kung yeah. Fu thing in the 70s. And then in the, the 80s... The first Chinese guy to teach yeah. Americans. And then in the 80s, it was all about ninjas. Yeah. And then you get to the 90s. The, the 90s was the sort of kickboxing heyday, really. Really? With like Van Damme and kickboxer. And, you know, spinning back kicks everywhere. <laughs> but and, as a sport, though, I would say Holland and France for sure. Yeah, yeah. And the K1 started Japan, and all yeah, that. in the mid-90s. And, yeah, and then late late 90s that's when mma came into yeah. it and then kung fu had a brief resurgence Mid-naughties explosion for M- mma yeah around 2000 though you had a brief kung fu resurgence thanks to like the matrix and romeo must die jet lee yeah but now it's come around again for mma 
I don't know when ninjas are going to come back, though. <laughs> Have you noticed MMA is getting a lot more stand-up? Like, there's not as much wrestling and yeah. submissions as it, there used to be. It's cyclical. You're, you're getting people knocking each other out. You're getting people... It used to be like, oh, it's no point learning how to kick people now. You should just learn ground and pound. There was a time, wasn't there, yeah. when people thought you'd never see a KO from a head kick. kick. But you're getting people knocking people out with capoeira kicks now and stuff. Yeah. Beautiful <laughs> thing to behold. Front kicks. Yeah. I give it a couple of years. Like I know we had that Tai Chi master get get his ass handed to him, but hopefully a couple more years we'll get someone. It was the fact beat uh, someone in one second. You reference you reference there the controversial video in China of yeah. the uh, aging Tai Chi master versus yeah. a guy. He wasn't aging. He was he was forty. He, was a bit old. he wasn't. He was like forty three. You said he looked like he was sixty because he's fat and out of shape. But what was most shocking to me is it was really basic technique that he lost to. Yeah. It wasn't even anything like he wouldn't have expected. Do you know what I mean? He just was simple Western boxing. And he was walking backwards with his arms yeah, up. Yeah, straight back. He should have gone straight into a grapple. So you think McGregor is going to win this? Yeah. Just like I thought Brexit was going to happen and Trump would win. Uh, I obviously, I'm playing it down. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to watch it. I mean, that's the thing about the freak show fight allure. There is the puncher's chance. There is a wild card factor here in the sense that we've never seen Conor McGregor against a professional boxer. We don't know how he'll do. He might do really well. This, and that's the allure of it. It's just this assumption that a lot of people have that somehow a professional boxer is more skilled than a professional MMA fighter. Not necessarily. <laughs> no, it's like people really underestimate MMA. So I want McGregor to win because I know he deserves to. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to episode 45 of the Tom, Dick and Hyman show. My thanks to Tim for joining me today. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. And, of course, to leave us a rating, preferably five stars, please, if you could. It helps us out a lot, apparently, in terms of putting us up higher up on the uh, search. Oh, really? In the search engines or whatever. You. If you don't have iTunes, then just follow us on SoundCloud and leave likes. Don't forget to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter so then you will always be up to date on the latest Tom, Dick and Hyman show podcast episodes. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.